podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to episode 41 of the Dishonomics Podcast. Happy New Year to all. I hope you had a great festive period. I enjoyed my Christmas. I enjoyed my New Year's. Spent with family like I like to. Plenty of food, lavish meat. Shout out my mum, Royal MVP. And I spent quite a bit as well. You know, Christmas expensive, especially if you're a man. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was good, it was good. I hope you guys had a great period too. Anyway, we're back on this Dysonomics-ish. If you're a new listener, I've had 40 previous podcasts, which I believe, and uh, listeners and subscribers believe, are pretty good. What I'm trying to do is not only make economics relevant, relatable, and, and a bit more entertaining to the average person, especially young people, I'm also trying to adjust how we think and view things. I believe that we kind of get sucked into narratives and buy it. I'm trying to get people to kind of think more, be a bit more analytical, ask more questions and not kind of take what they're given. And we're going to get into that a bit later. So, yeah, I've spoken on a variety of topics. Like my last one was about NHS, shout out Dr. Lee. So he's a doctor now, GP. So we've got expert analysis there. That's our second one. Um, I've had traders on talking about trading, the housing market and cryptocurrencies. I've had my boy Dams who works in terms of in HR rewards. So we spoke about the gender pay gap. He's an expert in that field. I've spoken about feminism with my homie Bola and Bumi. I've just did with Kumi on terms of economics and makeup. So you can kind of see there's a varied subject range. Sometimes economic theory, I spoke about interest rates, what is money. Sometimes it's a bit more lighthearted. It's economics of dating, social media, economics of makeup. And there's, it's, there's a lot of um, diversity in my topic range. So yeah, I hope you enjoy and listen throughout this year. But anyway, to the podcast. Unemployment. What is it? How it's measured? Are the different types? And the real. Okay, cool. So what is unemployment? I think pretty much most of us have a good idea of what unemployment is, but it's a pretty simple definition. When a person who's actively seeking work is unable to find work. That is the bog-standard kind of universal economic definition of unemployment. I want you to remember that definition because it's going to be important later on the podcast. So yeah, if I'm looking for work and I'm in the legal age, well, in the UK, the work workforce age is from 16 to 65. Imagine working that period of time, God forbid, I ain't doing that-ish. So if you're in between that age range and you're actively seeking work and you don't have a job, you class as unemployed. And whoever's unemployed, I hope it's not for too long, unless it's by choice. How is it measured? Well, the people I just described, those who are within the working age and are seeking work but can't get a job, divided by the total number of the labour force, so that's everybody in the labour force from ages 16 to 65 times by 100. Pretty simple, right? The UK unemployment rate is currently around 4.5, compared to, what, 8.11 in 2011, so it's doing pretty well in that measurement. So that's very, very low. So good times, allegedly. What are the different types of unemployment? Well, there's cyclical, cyclical, I can't say that word, excuse me. And I butcher quite a lot of words. I'm very, very sorry. Man's Nigerian, you get me. Sooner or later, my speech will get better and better. But until then, you have to bear with me. It's tight. Anyway, cyclical, cyc- whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Cyclical unemployment. These are when there's downturns in overall business activity. So... 
when businesses when business ain't booming, shout A B for that slogan slogan. When business ain't booming, like there's not much activity going on, employers aren't gonna have the funds to employ as many people. When there's a lot of business activity, the market is booming, people are spending and spending, the demand for goods goes up, so you're gonna need more stuff to create those goods and you've got enough money to pay them because you're selling more of your produce. So that's cyclical unemployment. The second one, structural unemployment. This is more like when there are changes in the mar- in the market. So you'll probably see this a bit more, I believe, in, in intramarket. So for example, I'm 28, so I've seen a lot of mediums of music from them, what's them, them old school vinyls? There's been vinyls, then there was tape cassettes. I remember recording, I remember my sister recorded one of my rap tapes, I was livid. I think it was a June tape or something like that. There were CDs, I remember the men them were burning CDs. I used to listen to a lot of Grimes, I had a lot of Grimes CDs, a lot of um, track music, a lot of gigs. Old school gigs from back in the day. Been a big fan. Shout out Holler Man. And then we kind of got more digital with MP3. And now we're streaming, right? So, when iPods were created... I had hella iPods. I kept on losing them or breaking them. When iPods were created, and then we kind of moved on to smartphones, and then there's people started making their own MP3 players. What do you think that did to the employment in the CD industry? So people who make CD-ROMs and all that type of stuff. Naturally, the unemployment industry start to rise because those skills and that product is not demanded anymore. The consumers ain't putting money into that industry anymore. So that's kind of an example of structural structural unemployment. When there's change in the market when it, and it increases and decreases demand for some jobs and skills. So as a young university student or maybe somebody a bit younger, or even if you've finished that, um, if you've gone past that stage, it's very important to try and pay close attention to the market. Even when you're working, pay close attention to the market because when there's change, there's structural change that can implement, that can affect your job. For example, like now we're going to a more te- te- technological age. So the people who are like in their 40s, 50s who didn't really grow up with the technology, once if they lose their job or get made redundant and speaking to people in HR, they kind of rank people by their, their value and stuff like that. So if there's time to make redundancy, there's certain people who are more likely to get made redundant. If you're, let's say, age 50, you've never went to university, you don't really know how to use Excel or type of stuff that much, you haven't got this, the um, latest qualifications that your profession demands, if you get made redundant, what time you get a job is going to be hella peak for you, rude boy, because you don't have the skills, you haven't kept up to date with the market. So if you're working, keep your... Keep your ear to the streets because in case something happens, you wanna be able you wanna be prepared for it. Okay. Fictional unemployment. No, f- that's frictional. I don't want to say fictional. Frictional unemployment. This is when workers are in between jobs due to their own free will. For example, you wanna you've left this job, it's hella dry, you don't like it, your boss is a pagan, your employees are always ask, yo, is that jollof rice? Poking their big ass heads into your food, you have I'm done with this. Out of your own will. It's going to take a bit of time for you to get that better job. Maybe you want more money. Maybe you want a promotion. Maybe you want to work abroad or you want to work in a city. You want to work closer to home. This can delay employment. So this is an example of fictional unemployment. Now, I've spoken about what unemployment is, how it's measured, and the different types. But wait. 
we've spoken, well, I've spoken on my podcast about difference between wages and real wages. There's also a difference between the traditional unemployment definition that economics forged decades and decades ago and real unemployment, yeah? I find it quite funny saying real. Do you know when people say, oh, you're not a real man? It's a bit neaky, but with economics, it's very, very relevant, yeah? Okay, cool. The definition I mentioned only accounts for people who are looking for work. Yeah? So remember I said the definition is when a person is actively seeking work and is unable to find work. Okay. So what about the man them and the ladies who aren't actually looking for work? They're not actively looking. They're just out yard chilling or maybe they've, they've hurt themselves, maybe had an operation or whatnot. Aren't they still not unemployed? Of course they're unemployed. Okay, let's kind of work through the theory and let me show you, not, let's kind of work through reality. Let me show you why the current employment rate is a bit of a finesse and it's a bit silly. And obviously it's a lot of propaganda for governments. Oh, look, we have low unemployment. Yay, we're great. Anyway, if, if unemployment is this low, then surely those of us who want a job can get one, right? If unemployment is at record lows, we've been hearing this year, well, sorry, 2017, unemployment at its lowest point in 15 years. Okay, cool. If this is the case, surely if an employ- a potential employee wants a job, they can get one, right? Surely our wages will rise because of the supply of jobs gives us an incentive benefit. We have, well, sorry, leverage. We have leverage because, okay, cool. If you want to give us give me some crappy work conditions, I don't know, let's say I'm working at um, Prada, okay? Let's say if the working conditions in Prada are dead, but because in this economy, unemployment is so low, there's, if I wanted a job, I could get one. I can, You know I could leave because there's jobs out there for me to get, whether it be better working conditions, especially better pay. So surely Prada will compensate me accurately to stop, turning over valuable members of staff. Companies will have to compensate accurately accurately to retain staff because, trust me, for those for those of us who work, especially in office-based environments and professional sectors, there's nothing longer than one of your um, employees leave and then you've got that kind of waiting period before you get somebody new in and you have to kind of fill in the gaps with their work. So you pick up one task and somebody picks up another task. And then they might get a temp in. You have to kind of train the temp up. And you're, and the company's paying for that temp. Or they get a new person in. And then you have to pay for that new person. You have to pay the recruitment company a fee for getting that person. It's all long. You rather just retain your staff and they get to know your um, your business. They know your values. And they can become more and more efficient as they've gained experience of how you do business. So, yeah. So, workers can either demand more, more money from a new job or strong arm their current job to get more bands. And I've been, a couple of my boys have been like, yeah. I'm, I was trying to dip, but then my company came up with more bands. I was like, I'm going to stay. I'm like, yeah, get your coin, king. I respect it. All right, cool. So, unemployment is low in the economy. And for those who listen to my inflation podcast in 2017, we already know that inflation is low. We should be living lavish, BMF, YMCMB, living like Khaled. But we know that's not how we're living in these streets. We're not living like that. Nothing on the sort. Wages should be lit and they should be eaten into these corporations' profits. 
Ladies and gentlemen, is that happening? I'm pretty sure you're hearing about the fat cats eating nicely, big bonuses, companies making big profits, but it's not really being passed down to us. Public sector, as we, as many of you may know, their wage growth is capped at 1%. So if inflation is above their wage growth, which it can likely be, they are effectively losing money because what is inflation? Inflation is basically the cost of living. If your wages have gone up by 1%, yeah, but your costs have gone up because if inflation is prices, so if the price of milk, um, nursery, uh, food, gas, transportation, all that's gone up, yeah, but your money gone up at a percentage higher than your money, you're effectively losing money because it's more costly to live your current life than it was before, yeah? And for those that don't know, public sector pay is actually higher than private pay. Of course, this private private sector pay doesn't take into account bonuses, but not everybody gets bonuses in private sector pay. So that's, of course, already a detrimental situation. Our real income is getting panned, yeah? Cool. The real. Unemployment in the UK is actually closer to 21%. So four times higher than the official figure. Okay, let me give you another definition. What is the definition of real unemployment? It's when you're either unofficially employed, like the previous definition I told you about, when you're actively looking for work and you can't find work, but you want a job, you're unemployed. Or you're just inactive, period. Or you're employed on a part-time basis, but you want a full-time join. You've got your little 16 hours at Clark's or something on the weekend, but you want a full-time 35, 37, 40-hour job. Of course, by that definition, you're going to capture a larger audience. Let me give examples of inactive people and how it's clearly unemployment, but it's not actually detailed in these statistics. If you're a mother and just got a newborn, and let's say you're not even on maternity leave, you just don't have a job because obviously you're just looking after your, your new baby boy or baby girl. Eventually, you're going to want a job, right? You're going to want a bit more money. You want to be able to sustain yourself and help your family out or whatnot. Or if you're a student, you're at college slash sixth form or at university or you're in a gap year just kind of like travelling. But eventually, you're going to want to have a job because you want to have bills to pay and you want to be able to entertain yourself and fulfil your dreams and goals and whatnot. This is very, very annoying to me because, as usual, propaganda from the government, and this, is, this goes around globally, really, is kind of finessing the people to believe in things are better than they actually are. And when you know the real you can adapt and adjust your life accordingly. So we actually have a bit of an unemployment problem, but that's not really discussed as much, which is very internet, very annoying. But as I said, this is this month's podcast. We're out here destroying narratives and giving you the real, real gist. We're not doing that propaganda stuff. I'm not allowing people that I know or people that listen to this podcast to be out here believing the jazz that the government and them are out here pumping. Before I end this unemployment podcast the first of the new year 
I just wanted to spoil a couple Miss RE zero hour contracts, yeah? Zero hour contracts get a lot of bad rap. People pam the government saying, oh yeah, your official unemployment stats low, that's because zero hour contracts, blah, blah, blah. Zero contracts are bad, they should be banned. Nonsense. Absolute trash, yeah? First things first, zero hour contracts have been around forever. Maybe not forever, but for ages. The thing is that most people didn't know that they were on a zero hour contract. Once this got kind of more hardline, I mean, more, more kind of solidified in terms of definition and more publicized, then people are like, oh, okay. So when it came to survey time, that's how we get these statistics, that people were able to identify, yeah, my current situation is a zero hour contract. Okay, cool. Let me give you some, some digis, some facts and figures to why the zero hour contract jihad is so overblown and nonsense, yeah? 2.8% of total employment, so that's the total amount of people employed in this economy, in the UK economy, is attributed to zero-hour contracts. 900,000 approximately, 905,000, and these are data from last year. 2.8% of people going on like it's, it's a massive game-changer in, in the total employment game. Nonsense. In 2015, so three years ago, 6% of these, of the total zero-hour contracts didn't guarantee any hours. Yeah, so don't we always hear them horror stories where some people are on zero-hour contracts and their contract doesn't guarantee them any hours. Like, they can literally go a week without working or they can be called to come in, oh, boom, you have to work today, that type of stuff. Those are horror stories and we really don't want to have that type of environment in the UK and I'm against that. However, a very, very small number of total contracts are like this and... Those in the media will have you believe it's the vast majority, which is complete nonsense. And also, remember, one person can hold multiple zero-hour contracts. Same way you probably have known people who have, who've had two jobs. Like I've known some people who work full-time in a city, in HR, and they'll be doing um, working on bars on weekends to catch, catch an extra young change. Loads of people do stuff like that. One of my brethren, she works in UBS, and part-time she was working in John Lewis because she wanted to get her money up. A lot of people kind of hold multiple jobs, especially with a zero-hour contract. It's a lot easier to be able to hold multiple amounts of jobs or zero-hour contracts. So you've got to remember that. And when you look at the amount of hours these people are working, 65% of people on zero-hour contracts are actually working part-time hours. So you won't have a big media crew saying it's part-time work, but 65% of people on zero-hour contracts so if you get 10 random zero-hour contract workers, six well, six or seven of them will actually work at least 16 hours a week. So that's dead. And in terms of people say, oh, but they probably work more hours. They don't want to only work X amount of hours. Well, the reality is only 32% of them want more hours. 68% of people working on zero-hour contracts actually don't want more hours. It suits them. You got the a significant amount of people who work zero hour contracts are between the ages of sixteen and twenty four. Quite a lot of them are students, so it kind of fits the lifestyle of those workers. And you got to remember, this is likely their first job, and they can use it to build and get get some experience in the CV, learn some skills, know how to interview, and then go on to bigger and better things. So there's a quick myth buster. 
you know me, I hate I hate inaccuracies. I want people to be accurate. Zero hour contracts are not as bad as proclaimed. I'm not saying that the greatest thing in the world before people try and misquote me. Nah, I'm not saying that. I might as well saying that. I'm saying please actually do your research before you start talking smack about zero hour contracts because it actually benefits quite a lot of people. And removing them will be actually detrimental for those people, especially young people. So no, we're not having that. But yeah. That was episode 41 of the Disnomics podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it this year. There'll be podcasts every week. Sunday night will be in your iTunes or your SoundCloud. I'm going to probably try to get on more platforms this year. Going to do a couple of events this year or more. So there's a lot of stuff to look forward to. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, please follow the Disnomics on SoundCloud so it comes straight to your feed. You don't even have to go looking for it, especially if you have Twitter or stuff like that. Wake up on a Monday morning, boom, it's there. And also repost it and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let people know that this is podcast that you might find interesting. Also, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe. Please download it. So if once you download it, you can listen to it offline. You might be on a train and no reception, you can listen to it. And it's also useful for Apple Podcasts that you can stop listening to it. Let's say you listen to the first five minutes. You want to do something else. And if you come back, open your app will be at the same point that you stopped. Also, if you scroll down, under my name on iTunes could give a quick review or star rating, preferably five stars, but if you think it's dead, let the streets know, give a right review, be honest, but nice about what you feel me. But yeah, thank you for listening. Any questions, you can tweet me at Dysonomics. The first I is actually a one. Hello at Dysonomics.com for emails. Don't send me your mixtapes. I will call the police. I'm not trying to hear your mixtapes. I like that. But yeah, any questions, holler. Thank you and God bless. Sports Social Podcast Network.